Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number two of Revelation chapter 14, and we're continuing to look into verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. We saw last time that, of course, Christ is the lamb, and that his standing on Mount Sion related to what we read uh, in Psalm 2, that, that he would stand upon his holy hill. And also, God um, defines Mount Zion in Psalm 74, verse 2, Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. So Zion is a name that can identify with God's elect. In Psalm 74, 2, it does. And in Revelation 14, in our verse, it does relate and identify with God's elect. In Psalm 125, it says in verse 1, They that trust in Jehovah shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed but abideth forever. So God's people are the only ones who will trust in Jehovah because the Lord gives his people that trust when he places within us a new heart and a new spirit. We will be as Mount Zion, which abideth forever. It is a representation of the eternal kingdom of God. In Psalm 132, In verse 13, we read, For Jehovah has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. Chosen is um, an election word. Uh, God chose or elected Jacob, but Esau he hated. And, And so Jehovah has chosen Zion, which pictures all of those predestinated to salvation before this world began. And he has desired it, Zion, for his habitation. He will dwell in them. That's what the Bible tells us. And God um, speaks of the house of God as as being built for his habitation. And, and therefore, the house of God, that spiritual house that... Um, the the Bible speaks of as every individual believer is saved. He's like a living stone added to the spiritual house of God. And we read in Ephesians chapter 2 in, um, in verse 21 and 22, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Zion is built. 
Zion is for God's habitation. And so is the temple or the house of God. So they're, they're all, um, synonymous in that sense. Just one more verse concerning Zion in Psalm 147, verse 12. Praise Jehovah, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. And there we see the similarity or the interchangeableness of Jerusalem and Zion. Praise Jehovah, Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. They're, they're, uh, the same statement. They're just reworded to add uh, a little feature to them and for God to help us to understand Zion a little bit better. All right, let's go back to Revelation 14, verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their forehead. 144,000. Now that's a special number. It, it has spiritual meaning. Every number in the Bible has spiritual meaning because every number in the Bible is actually a word. For instance, if we looked in the Greek text, we're not going to see a number 144,000, a numeral. We're, we're not going to, to see that at all. We're going to see words, Greek words, that mean 144,000. God wrote it out in words. And every word of the Bible has spiritual meaning. We may not always understand the spiritual meaning. And there are some numbers, again, which are words, that we don't know what they mean. At least not right now. And it's just not clear. Other numbers are clear. And and that's because God uh, makes it a point to add certain emphasis and to highlight it for us so that we can get the meaning that he's trying to get across. For instance, with the number three and and the cross, uh, when, when Jesus went to the cross, the number three is in view time and again repeatedly. Three crosses, uh, three people on the crosses, the three inscriptions, and, and so forth. And number three comes through again and again, and we see God is is identifying the number three. And then we we learn as we search the Bible, like any other word, that the spiritual meaning of the number three is to indicate purpose. It was the purpose of God that Christ go to the cross. In the book of Acts, the Lord speaks of his determinate for counsel or determinate will that Jesus go to the cross, his purpose. Well, with a number 144,000, this is a special number because it's a number that uh, if we break it down, it would be 12 times 12 is 144, and then we add tens to get to 144,000. The number 12 relates to fullness and 10 to completeness. The complete fullness of what is in view. And the 144,000 are representing God's elect that were saved during the church age. Now, we we don't just grab that out of a hat. Well, how do we know that? Uh, We know it from what the Bible tells us elsewhere. In Revelation 7... 
it says in verse 3, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And then verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. So there, the 144,000 is broken down for us by tribes, 12 tribes, 12,000 per tribe. And so it's 12 times 12,000, the way God breaks it down here. But 12,000 is 12 times 1,000, or 1,000 is multiples of 10. 10 times 10 times 10, and you get 1,000. And so it is the fullness, the number 12, and completeness, the number 10, of the 144,000, which Revelation 14 tells us in verse 4, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. The first fruits, a very important phrase to help us identify the 144,000. It, it is a phrase that leads us to the Feast of Pentecost and to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It's a phrase that identifies, therefore, with the church age. And the 144,000 are all those that God saved, the complete fullness of everyone saved during the church age. And the church age lasted almost 2,000 years. A good number of people were saved, 3,000 in that very first day, on the day of Pentecost in 33 A.D., and and then, uh, we, we don't know the number, but a good number over the course of many centuries. Not what we would uh, probably think. God indicates in some passages there was some disappointment to the church age. It, it was not um, what we might expect. Yet, people were saved and they're typified by the 144,000. They do not represent all that God saves. And and some people tend to uh, get that idea or, or try to present that idea. But we have to remember, back in Revelation 7, after the Lord lists 12,000 from those 12 tribes of Israel, it says uh, in verse 8, I'll, I'll read that verse that wraps up, the listing of the 12,000 by tribe. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. And then verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms, in their hands. And verse 13 and 14 of chapter 7 of Revelation 
tells us that they, they, that great multitude came out of great tribulation. And, and once we understand that, then we see what God is doing. The 144,000 are the first fruits. And if we go back to Exodus 23, Exodus chapter 23, it says in uh, verse 16, And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. The feast of harvest is a two-part feast. First fruits, first, and then um, the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. And and that identifies with the seventh Hebrew month. That's when the feast of um, ingathering would be held along with tabernacles. It would begin on the 15th day of the seventh month. But, but two periods of bringing in the fruit. And the two combined make up the feast of harvest. If you just have the first fruits, and what does God say the number of them are? 144,000. You do not have the complete harvest. You need to also wait for the the final uh, gathering of fruit to come in at the end of the year. And, and the Lord tells us about this in another way in the epistle of James. In the New Testament, in James chapter 5, he, he says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, and the husbandman is the father, he's the husbandman, according to John, John 15, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, that would be the elect until they become saved, and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Why two rains? Two harvests. The early rain identifies with the first fruits. That uh, pictures the word of God going forth into the world and saving the 144,000 throughout the church age. Then... After the 144,000 are all sealed, comes the end of the church age, the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Uh, and we know um, from other scripture that the Lord had a period of famine of 2300 evening mornings between the seasons. From the period of first fruits until the period of the latter rain, during the second part of the Great Tribulation, there was the 2300 evening mornings to uh, to space it out. And God had patience until he received the early rain, and, and he did, and he saved all of the elect out of the world via the churches during the church age. Then he waited patiently until... He, he sent forth the latter rain, and the latter rain accomplished its purpose of bringing in the final harvest. During the Feast of Ingathering, during the 6,100 days of the Great Tribulation, 
which concluded on May 21, 2011. Then the rain ceased to fall, and the Great Tribulation ended, and and then Judgment Day came. God no longer would be patient. He's no longer long-suffering, waiting, holding back his wrath until he receives the rain to bring in the fruit. The rain has fallen. The fruit has been brought in. The wrath begins. The door shuts. The light of the gospel goes out and so forth. Just because we don't see these things doesn't mean God isn't punishing the world. Keep in mind, God punished the churches for 23 years and nobody ever saw that with their physical eyes. It wasn't a visible punishment. It was a spiritual judgment. You can't see a spiritual judgment. You can see effects of it once you know it from the Bible and then we see the madness in the church. We we understand why. Or once we know it from the Bible, we see the madness in the world now. We understand why. But we, we can't see the actual wrath of God. We can't see the door shut. We can't see the light of the gospel out all over the earth. But we know it's true because the word of God declares it. Well, um, let's go back to Revelation chapter 22. The last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. And it says in verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Oh, uh, uh, I, I think I jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, this, this is um, a verse that goes along with the, the last part of Revelation 14, 1. Um, the 144,000 having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And, and so that verse in Revelation 22, 3 and 4 tells us um, they will have his name in their foreheads. And, and the forehead is where the mind is located. It identifies with the soul of man. And to have the Father's name, um, it, which is a big contrast from our previous chapter in Revelation 13, it was the name of the beast that that uh, people had in, in their uh, foreheads as they identified with Satan, as they were sold to sin. And owned by Satan. Well, likewise, God has purchased his congregation. He's, he's purchased, he's redeemed us. He's bought us with that tremendous price of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer our own. We do not belong to ourselves. He owns us and, and we have his name written in our foreheads, and uh, it, it indicates we have the the mind of Christ. We desire to do the will of God, and God's people are given an ongoing desire to do the will of God. All these things are in view uh, when we we find this kind of statement that the Father's name is written in our foreheads. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Pal Talk, Skype, 
eBible Fellowship's webcast audio or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.